Welcome to Accelerate OC, the only show focused on the people leading innovation in Orange County. Join our host, Carrie Ransom, in his conversations with the trendsetters, entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders here, because it's time to Accelerate OC. Welcome to the Accelerate Show. I'm Carrie Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by OC4 Venture Studio, a new tech startup company building platform and community based here in Southern California. There are an amazing group of founders already in the studio. And so if you're looking for help with your startup, want to join us, want opportunities to work with the next generation of high growth companies, or really just want to be part of this community, you can go to OC4V.com to learn more. I'm super excited to have my longtime friend, Neil Hanch, with me on the Accelerate Show today. Uh, before we get to hear from Neil, though, let me give you a quick introduction to him. He is currently the CEO and managing partner at Silicon Foundry, which is a membership-based innovation platform based up in San Francisco, and it's focused on corporations and they've got companies from around the globe involved and they enable them to really connect with each other, connect with the startup and innovation community and really learn and learn how to invest in that ecosystem. And they've helped, you know, through the Silicon Foundry, he's helped advise and drive many companies. And I would say many of the ones that are involved are leaders in their industries, not the ones that are dragging their feet. These are ones that are really thinking forward, but he's helping them in areas like corporate venture capital, um, setting up venture studios or partnering with venture studios and even other innovation activities as the ways that innovation and investment around innovation are happening in corporations is a moving target. And we're seeing a lot more creativity today than we did certainly five or 10 years ago. Neil has been super active in connecting these companies. And we're going to talk a lot about that today, as I think a lot of Southern California companies could greatly benefit from this discussion as well. Uh, before that, he ran an incubator for a really interesting company called Meltwater Group. And he built bridges between them and high-tech entrepreneurs in emerging parts of the world with a really heavy focus on Africa. Uh, and he connected a lot of uh, entrepreneurs there, you know, a couple hundred that they trained, connected them with Silicon Valley and that sort of thinking in other parts of the world. Um, they invested in a couple dozen startups and even got several of them into accelerator programs like Y Combinator and 500 startups that many of you have probably heard of. Uh, he also, before that, was a venture capitalist with Rustic Canyon Partners, which was a long-standing LA-based venture capital firm, also had an office up in Northern California, and had several funds through their time uh, as a firm. He's been a great friend for a long time. I'm really happy to have him on the show. Neil, really excited to have you here. Likewise, Gary, really appreciate it. Truly, and I'm just excited is, is the kind of conversations that we have uh, amongst the two of us, and now we get to have those conversations, but in a podcast setting. Exactly, and, uh, exactly. You know, and, I'll just start by saying, love what you're building uh, in SoCal, in Orange County. And um, you know, as we'll get into, uh, certainly the, the venture studio model is one we're a big believer in. And we spend, uh, we spend quite a bit of time, in fact, with many of the corporates we work with, particularly over the last two years, in exploring the model, implementing the model, and partnering uh, with folks like yourself. Very cool. Well, great jumping off point. So you know, I gave a brief intro into uh, Silicon Foundry 
you know, let's start though, before we get into exactly the mechanics of how it works, why is it so hard? I think people often don't appreciate, why is it so hard for large companies to be innovative? Yeah, I think this is kind of the, you know, the, the winner's curse in some respects, right? So mm -hmm. you've got these massive companies uh, and many of the ones we work with, they've been around for decades and in some cases, hundreds of years, mm -hmm. right? And they're leaders in their market. Um, they've got established business lines. And I think so, I think it's a, it's a myriad of factors, uh, but it doesn't matter where in the world they're based, what industry in, right? They've got that you know, inertia. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got, you know, uh, uh, cultures, uh, challenges as well at times, right? Which is, hey, the culture is, we've got a successful business line. The thought of cannibalizing that mm -hmm. uh, is very difficult. Um, the, um, uh, and, you know, changing the culture to be more risk-taking, changing the culture to potentially cannibalize existing revenue streams because you, you know, you know the changes that are afoot, uh, things like business model changes. And mm -hmm. hey, we're used to selling, you know, XYZ in the store shelves, you know, not a subscription service. And that's foreign, but we recognize, you know, this is the way that the world is headed. Um, I think the, just the sheer speed of movement, right? You've got systems, you've got processes, you've got checkpoints, you've got multi-layers of decision-making. And these are all, you know, these aren't criticism. This mm -hmm. is just reality. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I think, you know, the, the speed of change though, uh, probably not surprisingly, we've seen it's come earliest to those sectors and industries that were facing the most pressure mm -hmm. from emerging companies. Uh, you know, things like retail, uh, mm -hmm. media, uh, telcos. Um, but now, I mean, what we're seeing in terms of it's hard for corporates to, to make these changes. Well, now it's impacting you know, manufacturing and gold mining and oil and gas. So, but, you know, I, I realized I hit a, a number of different points, but it's really, it's the, the aggregation of all those things that mm -hmm. uh, makes it hard. And, and ultimately, you know, what we'll see time and again is, um, you know, to drive that change, it's senior leadership uh, that has that mentality. Mm -hmm. uh, it then trickles down and, and you know, the, the message to the team, uh, you know, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of employees, the incentive structures mm -hmm. uh, of those organizations. And so to truly, you know, quote unquote, solve it, kind of have to address all these different points uh, over time. Yeah, it's a complicated, I mean, I think what you really highlight there is it's a complicated topic. Um, it starts with leadership. You, you mentioned the incentive challenge. You, so often I hear the incentive, if I do this innovative thing, the incentive, if we're right, is not nearly as high as the damage or my fear if it's wrong. I could lose my job if we don't do this right, but if we wildly succeed, I, I don't have that much to gain. And so it yep. seems like that, like that to me is right, is core to you know, what's going to hold it back and change timelines and urgency. Uh, and, and it often is that existential crisis is the only thing that can drive that radical change. And we'll, we, we can certainly talk about that because obviously we've had, you know, this COVID environment, we've had huge, uh, huge existential crisis that emerged in a bunch of industries that weren't thinking about it or preparing for it. Uh, and, you know, future now came really fast in a lot of different ways. That's right. I mean, maybe just to hit on that, sure. you know, what, what we've seen over the last, uh, well, I guess seven months now, um, 
I think Satya, the CEO of Microsoft, said it well, relatively early on, right, which was the two years of transformation in two months. Mm -hmm. um, in our work, we saw, you know, a lot of, of and we'll just keep using that term, digital transformation agendas, which, you know, previously in, in some, if not many cases, were, well, we'll get to that. It's a nice to have. Mm -hmm. And it immediately became a have to have, a need to have. You know, as, as an example, you know, folks who are in manufacturing. All right, and we're going to digitally transform our manufacturing operations. And at least in our work, we immediately got, you know, a lot of pings from our members, which is our term for clients, mm -hmm. basically, of we need to explore industrial augmented reality solutions. Mm -hmm. The person who knows how to work that machine or fix that machine, you know, is on their couch at home. Mm -hmm. And so it's just one, you know, example. So many elements of the transformation uh, came to the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so we, we, no one was happy for the analyzing reason and the driver of why, um, but it absolutely has manifested itself, which, um, which in turn with innovation teams at the, you know, fortune 500, fortune 2000, um, you know, there, there could be the question of well, what's going to happen to them mm -hmm. in this environment. Uh, mm -hmm. I think in many cases, you know, uh, and a positive, and, and you can say in hindsight, it shouldn't have been a surprise, but they're actually getting more resources mm -hmm. and more attention. Uh, because you know the activities that they're doing, if if they were you know pursuing one area and doing a pilot, then it would have taken six months before. You know the mandate was we need to get this figured out in six weeks and rolled out in the mm -hmm. following six weeks. So that's been, you know, dare I say one one positive is just the uh, a lot of these innovation activities um, have gotten you know prioritized uh, even more so than ever before. That's that's really interesting because typically, I think if we look back at prior cycles when uh, a crisis or certainly a downturn, if we wanted to characterize some of what's happened as a economic uh, downturn, typically it's we're we're going to stop longer term investments. We're going to focus in on our core. That's that's what we know is going to keep us alive. That that's been the typical reaction. Um, what what is it that you think is different this time that that's caused them yeah. to, for example, put more resources toward innovation or, uh, you know, really plan for hey we we've got to move toward the future now. Yeah, no, and I now now is probably a good opportunity we date ourselves right because we were in in the ecosystem in '99 and 2008 uh -huh. uh, mm -hmm. and very much to your point. You would see where you know some of the activities would get pulled back. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly, some of the funding would get pulled back. Um, I think also to your point, what we've seen is you know some of the focus uh, has shifted from sort of longer term uh, impact to innovation that would you know truly bear fruit two years from now mm -hmm. to innovation that would solve the here and now challenges. Mm -hmm. Uh, so as an example, you know, we work with a few airlines and, you know, the, the conversation pre-COVID, just pre-COVID may have been customer journey mm -hmm. and um, thinking about, you know, you know, what that will look like, you know, in 2022 to, you know, we, our challenge right now is we need uh, sanitation technologies, mm -hmm. we need cleaning technologies, we need, as does everybody, rapid COVID testing technologies that, you know, can be done at scale. Um, and so, you know, the, the work, our work with those innovation teams, uh, you know, shifted from, we might call it midterm to the, the here and now uh, uh, or the near future. Uh, and so I think that's, that's one element. 
you know, I think the, the area you touched upon corporate venture capital, um, which probably about a third of our members were explicitly working for the corporate venture capital arms of mm. those organizations, um, which, you know, CVCs in and of themselves certainly have many different flavors mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, balance between being strategic to the organization and financial. Um, CVCs, you know, one of the first things we look at is who do they report up into yes. uh, ultimately? Um, but just to, to kind of weigh in on, you know, where we see that, and that's a tool, by the way, if we that's really right. step back, you know, corporate venturing is one way to leverage external innovation, one tool to engage it, um, one tool to complement, you know, commercial relationships, mm-hmm. you know, above and beyond what a, a partnership looks like. Um, I think with CVCs, if we fast forward ahead a year from now, there'll be some contraction in, in corporate mm-hmm. venture, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that is, Cash conservation, sure. part of that headline risk, you know, for companies who have to, you know, who are are in the mode of, of having to let employees go mm-hmm. to then turn around and announce, you know, multi-million dollar investments in startups, uh, even if that's the right thing to do, that may be hard to swallow. Sure. Um, at the same point, uh, we're already starting to see some, you know, of these large corporations doubling down on mm-hmm. CVC. You know, recognizing that it is part of their innovation strategy, it is part of them tapping external R&D, um, and in some cases even, they're getting pushed. So the exact opposite of what I said a moment ago with innovation teams, some of these CBCs are getting pushed further out saying, you really need to be investing in where we're going to be four years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and our business is fundamentally shifting from this product to this service that we're going to be at, and the CVC team, so rather than contracting, they're getting more support from their CEOs. Uh, so I think maybe that's a long way of saying for that piece of the innovation puzzle, uh, it'll, it'll be a mixed bag. Uh, but unlike, I think, what we saw in 99 or, or 2008, rather than you know, all the CFOs out there saying, you know, deploy less capital through our corporate management program, we're going to see some who, who get more resources rather than mm-hmm. get them taken away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like that, I mean, to me, that is the CFO of uh today that's going to be the the winners of tomorrow i mean mean, you know the cfos that have that uh, aspiration to maybe be a ceo it feels like now is their time that that going backwards is while that might be the instinct that survivalist mentality it just that that i mean probably to you and me does it just doesn't resonate because you you look at the pace of change We've seen it thrust upon us. So anybody that was ignoring it before six months from now, I mean, no stone has been unturned uh, globally in the last six months. And some people have greatly benefited, maybe just luckily by being in the right business at the right time. But regardless, disruption's been everywhere. So if you're you're financially model-minded, you kind of feel like, hey, we, we have to think ahead and be, be out in front of where we are today or else, you know, who, who knows what could show up six, 12, yeah. 24 months from now that, that if we don't have some amount of portfolio of uh, investment, we're, we're, we have the risk of, uh, of being in a really bad place. That's right. No, I, I agree. And I think, you know, in, in the midst of COVID, you know, no one, no one could have seen it coming the way it has. Um, you know, the vast majority of organizations couldn't, because of that, wouldn't be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. But back to the accelerating transformation, but, you know, shame on you and you're not doing your job 
uh, if you're not um, adjusting and then preparing, you know, for, for the landscape uh, that, that's ahead. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it as well. And maybe another silver lining is it, it also, give, given the environment, it kind of also gives the, the flexibility to be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, especially right. for the public companies, which, you know, as we all know, yeah. being public, you've got the quarterly grind of, of mm-hmm. earnings and whatnot. And maybe another way to say it is if you're going to make some big shifts, if you're going to make some big changes, you know, and that's and we're certainly seeing this in the oil and gas industry. Right. Mm-hmm. Some of it's make that shift uh, to um, to to clean energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to take some lumps and big write-offs now in different ways. But, you know, again, silver lining of this is a, an atmosphere and environment where you can do that uh, and you're not alone. In, That's in right. Doing it. That's and, right. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you, you highlight such a great point, which is for the last really several decades, I would say it has not typically paid to be a pioneer and step out by yourself. Uh, and in many cases, if you were trying to plan for the future or you were trying to hedge, there were other people that might step in that seat and say, I'm willing to take this risk. I will, I will move to, you know, single source supplier. I will move things to other parts of the world. You know, do take these short term benefit uh, opportunities that are there without thinking about what that might do longer term. And if you weren't, I feel like other people were willing to step in and into those roles, right? So that was, it feels like this just has been driven to this very, uh, everybody kind of act the same way. And now you've seen some outliers. I mean, Amazon's a perfect example of an outlier actor that has now really surged to the forefront in so many areas by thinking and acting differently. And you know, as you work with all these companies, are you seeing them now understand that being bold and being a leader might be the way you have to be in the future? I mean, how, how are they, when you, when you meet these companies, are they just thinking differently than they did 10 years, five years ago, 10 years ago? I, absolutely. Um, and, and to be fair, we, you know, the, the folks that we generally work with at these companies, and, and they're all, you know, C-suite and, and the teams that are working closely with them, they tend to be the most uh, aggressive, mm-hmm. the most forward-thinking, the most sort of entrepreneurs within these massive and, and long-standing successful companies. Um, I think one other related point that we see is, you know, competition nowadays uh, is coming from all different angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll often get the question, and a story I'll tell is, we'll often get the question of, well, for Foundry, can we work with competing companies? Mm-hmm. Uh, can we work with two or three players in retail um, uh, or, you know, pick your industry. And, uh, and we have many examples of that. And, and one of the reasons, if you just take retail, right? Uh, you know, it used to be Nordstrom's competing with Bloomingdale's, competing mm-hmm. with Neiman Marcus, Texas Avenue. And now, you know, they're all admittedly scared of Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's mutual public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and take that same kind of paradigm, different industries, right? competition is coming from not the usual suspects mm-hmm. uh, and okay, let's monitor what they're doing. And, you know, that's who we're really competing against. You know, many of our members, part of our work with them is understanding where am I going to get blindsided? You know, if you think about financial services, right now it's what's Apple doing, what's mm-hmm. Amazon doing, mm-hmm. uh, what's Google doing, you know, that's the competitors in, in so many respects. They're most 
concerned with um, and coming from obviously very different worlds uh, entering into those markets. So, yeah, so I think the, the, uh, uh, the, the stable annuity stream uh, of the existing business, and as long as I know what my you know, classic, you know, traditional usual suspect competitors are doing, I'm good. That's, you know, that, that went out the window, uh, you know, I don't know if it was five or 10 years ago, but it's definitely out the window at this point. Sure. Well, I almost think of it as these newly constructed value chains that can come together much more quickly than what we've ever seen in our lifetime. And it, it feels like whether that's an entire industry value chain to deliver value that now, you know, you, you don't see it and it's totally new or um, just to, even the way new organizations, I, I feel like this idea of, of how companies are going to flex and, and adjust is barely begun. You know, a lot of the founders that we, we work with and why, I mean, we'll, I'd love to talk a little bit more about venture studios, but a big reason why I'm now in that market is this, this really strong belief after, you know, several decades now of, of being in and building companies is that the, the way that companies have been constructed and built looking backwards is not the same as it's going to be as we move forward. And that models like the film production or other type of models may become much more the type of model that we need to be thinking about when it comes to companies that we can source talent more easily. We can do it in a more gig-based way where you can time and place shift. And there's so many of these other elements at play that uh, I don't think a lot of people really fully appreciate. And you know, most people are still thinking, I want this person in the seat next to me physically here from eight to five or whatever it is, that that's just a, it's a false control notion in a world where people are figuring out new ways to, to pull together, to build value and deliver that value. And so, um, you know, something like a studio gives you that experimentation flexibility to really think about that differently. So. That, that's what I'd love to transition to now. I mean, obviously you're talking to a lot of these companies. You mentioned that a lot of them are thinking about studio models. Why, why do you think that's happening? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, um, you know, and if we step back, the studio model, it, it may have been called incubator. Uh, sure. It can be called venture builder. So there's different names. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, and, and we can argue that the first most well-known one, Idealab, Sure. there in Southern California, yes. right? Um, and, uh, you know, and then others like science uh, that mm -hmm. popped up in the last 10 years as well. And, and now there's, I think there's three or 400, mm -hmm. uh, depending on how you define it around the world. Um, for the corporates, I think this has been part of the journey. So when we saw corporates really starting to engage the, the startup ecosystem historically, the accelerators was mm -hmm. a tool that many, many, many used, right? And these were, you know, existing early stage companies would come into an accelerator, a bunch of corporates would, you know, align themselves around the sector mm -hmm. focus of an accelerator and, um, and look to work with those companies as they were coming out. Um, and I think in, in many cases, uh, those, were, those were almost wonderful sort of early training activities mm -hmm. for the corporate. Mm -hmm. But we've been hearing more and more from the corporates and I'd say over the last 12 to 18 months, probably at least a half dozen of our members, you know, very deeply been exploring the venture studio model for themselves, 
uh, and the idea was, was in part twofold, um, entrepreneurship. So mm -hmm. you know, we don't have a vehicle to, to champion and capture uh, and promote. So the entrepreneurship, the ideas coming from within are you know, legion uh, of team members, uh, of employees, but also capturing external uh, innovation as well. Um, and so they would go through the process of, you know, where, where on the spectrum between those two things, so, and it's not an either or. Um, also recognizing, you know, they would identify, we've got a challenge. Now, if there's an existing company out there that uh, has a solution to address that challenge, um, is studios as a, you know, a, a, a very powerful uh, mechanism uh -huh. to do that. Um, at the same point, hey, we have ideas for new lines of the business, new products, new services, and the challenge is they don't fit into one of the existing lines of business or uh -huh. business units. Uh -huh. Or if they do, you know, you know, it could be uh, back to the earlier part of our conversation. It can be hard for those new vendors to take light because the incentives aren't there. In uh -huh. fact, in some cases, you know, the uh, you know, the, the, the leadership the would rather have it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Rather have it not exist uh -huh. than exist. So a lot of the venture studio-like activities with the corporates, you know, they very purposely give it its own life. Give yes. it, own oxygen, its own funding. And then you know what, if that new product or service starts to take legs, maybe it can be folded into a, a mm -hmm. BU. Um, it's also- Well, and it's not, I mean, it's, it's typically not going to move the, you know, on a bigger company, it's typically not going to move the needle this year. And I think that that often, it's, it's a time horizon issue in many cases or, or size of impact uh, and, I feel like that in and of itself is often a big impediment and why startups and corporates don't speak the same language because what's meaningful to a startup from a traction and impact standpoint is often magnitudes smaller than what's what matters to a, a bigger company. And that mismatch is that gap in between. Yeah, it is hard when we, but, but we know it's the truth when we say, well, this could be a hundred million dollar business three years from now. Mm -hmm. And for many of the corporates, you know, that's, a, that's a nice consideration, but a rounding error. Um, yes. And, but I, I do think though, you know, for the venture studios, um, it's also, you know, very well suited to partner with corporates early mm -hmm. on, right? mm -hmm. as the, as the, um, you know, for the studio uh, team uh, to know that the corporate essentially coming to their doorstep and said, if this solution existed, we would be a customer. Yes. Day one. Right. And so it's it almost thesis development, prioritization of, of new ventures uh, mm -hmm. that could be built and launched. Um, and so we've seen some of our corporates uh, not just uh, partner on studio activities if they don't do them themselves, but also become investors in the studio entities. Mm -hmm. Because here's, a, you know, I'm a corporate, I'm in the retail world. Here's a studio that's very retail focused and we wanna be a part of injecting uh, ideas, sure. injecting challenges. And the promise of many of the corporates is, and we'll be the first customer um, and, and or we, we'll be the first partner uh -huh. uh, for distribution uh, or otherwise. So yeah, and we're, we are, if I haven't said it already, big believers in the studio model because of that. Um, and, um, uh, and, and it's a, it's a compliment, uh, not a, yeah. a competitive, uh, approach with classic venture, venture yeah. capital. Yeah, I, I obviously totally agree. So let's, let's go a little deeper on that one. You know, I've had some discussions with investors because we're, we're really looking at the value creation within a studio from a 
return on investment standpoint. And I've had investors say, oh, you know, I don't, I don't really understand the, or believe in the investment thesis for a studio. I feel like I'm, I'm probably not getting the same level of, of potential return that I might get, for example, from just a straight fund. And I, you know, I fundamentally disagree and say, like, this is about actually having multiple levers available to you in the creation of value, not one, which is just deploying capital and hoping you picked right. And yeah. so our view is this is actually all about creating much higher investment return because you have a lot more value creation levers available to you. So how, how do you think about that? Yes, uh, and so much to unpack here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know, I've got bias running different directions, having spent most of my career at sure. uh, you know, traditional venture funds. Um, and maybe one other comment there is also recognizing, you know, traditional venture funds have have over the years built platform and platform mm-hmm. teams. A lot of the value that they look to add to their portfolio companies um, has expanded over time. Yes. But the fundamental construct, as you're highlighting, uh, is is you know quite different, right? So I, you know, if we use a metaphor of the the classic metaphor of uh, the VC or the investor, you know, is picking the jockey, mm-hmm. uh, right? With venture studios, you're you're the investor, you're picking the jockey, but you're also on the horse with them, That's right. and you're probably also caring feeding the horse. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a much deeper involvement, um, and you are there uh, at the ideation phase. You are working day in day out alongside the entrepreneurs, um, and um, and if you look at the economics of the model uh, for the amount of capital deployed, you know the studios generally have a much higher ownership percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, they you know they they may have a smaller portfolio of bets, right? So there's some portfolio here there, but you'd also expect a much higher hit rate. That's right uh, of those companies, you know. And so as a as an investor into one of these activities. If you're investing in the VCs, you're you're fundamentally betting on their ability to pick the right jockeys. You're, as you're investing into a studio, you know it's very much about the studio's team, not just their investment acumen, but their build capabilities, their mm-hmm. operating expertise. Yeah, where's um, the and, having more leverage in more places? Because I mean, back to what I was saying earlier, if if we fundamentally believe that companies are going to be constructed differently in the future, then you want people that understand how to construct. There's a whole group of, of activities of, to be learned if you are just going to bet on, right? The, the company I built before is likely to be different in the next one that I build. And so what I learned from that is useful, but not as much useful today as it was 10 or 20 years ago where you could kind of rinse and repeat the same approach. Yep. And I think I, if we also do a, a surface level compare and contrast with accelerators, you know, with the studio uh, and the studio operations and all of the capabilities and skill set there, you fundamentally enable the entrepreneur to focus on mm. the, the, you know, you know, rather than getting off, you know, all the classic getting office space, you know, and that's sort of the, the back office activities. But as a CEO myself, those can consume an inordinate amount of time. Whereas you really want your teams focused on product, go to yes. market. Um, and, you know, uh, and so I think that's one of the powers as well for the, the, the studio model and the successful studios is fundamentally bringing all these capabilities to the table and the entrepreneurs that they're partnering with and backing 
getting to focus uh, their time on the most strategic activities and to you know to prove out as we know it's a it's a marathon of sprints yes but to prove out the thesis prove out the markets there uh, the product market fit and definition, and you know, ultimately, then as an investor, that leads you to have even more conviction of where you're doubling down with your capital uh, mm -hmm. over time. That's right. And then you know, and as the studio has relationships, uh, going back to the corporates for a moment, as the studio really has uh, relationships with the local corporates or the corporates in the category, right? You're lining up those initial customers, and mm -hmm. you know, dot dot dot, you're lining up uh, the that future exit path. Uh, mm -hmm. Which for the investors, when all is said and done, making the right bets and getting liquidity on them—that's the—that's the nature of the sport. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and I think that's the other part that I feel like the studio, uh, you know, doesn't talk enough about, but is it, it connects people because the studio is so embedded and deeply active with the companies. There's there's that incentive to also build out this ecosystem around it, and build those relationships in a deeper way with the idea that we're going to consistently have activities that are going to be relevant as opposed to every once in a while, maybe we have a deal or a company that makes sense that this, this then these studios to me can become key nodes in an industry or in a community. And that that's important for even just unlocking future opportunities and, and value. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's, let's change gears a little bit. So you're, you're up in San Francisco, you're, you're in the heart of the innovation capital of the world in the way most people think about it. And, and I think, you know, Southern California for a long time, uh, and you've, I know you've spent a lot of time here, but for a long time, you know, we, we were, oh, you know, how do we build Southern California into the next Silicon Valley? I think now it's how do we build Southern California to be the best version of itself? Right. So what, what do you think of as you, you know, you've spent a lot of time in both. What do you think of as the, the differences? And I mean, what advantages, if any, do you see in SoCal at this point? Yeah. Uh, and once again, an area I'm certainly biased in, you know, yes. and you know, for further context, I'm from San Diego originally. Mm -hmm. I lived in Orange County for a time, uh, certainly LA, and uh, which is where we crossed paths first mm -hmm. 20 years ago, uh, and have kind of been a you know, and but but up here in the valley uh, for a good chunk of time as well. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I think when it, uh, I think when it comes to SoCal, um, you know, I think, and this is ecosystem building. Right, which is which is true true the world over, and 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 you know how do you you know foster that? Um, I think with Sothal, first thing I think about is just the power alleys of industry. Mm -hmm. um, and so yes, Silicon Valley, we could we would probably all say, although despite the popular press of it's losing its luster, <laughs> uh, but it still has the you know the, the single highest concentration. Yes, uh, for sure. Venture money and 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 the ecosystem around the universities, and so we can we'll just we'll take that as some yeah. degree of a given. Yep. But I think for SoCal, um, you look at the, the power out of industries, obviously media is the one that, that comes mm -hmm. to the forefront uh, for most folks, but, you know, defense, you know, clean energy, uh, CPG, right? I mean, SoCal, you know, for CPG and, and manufacturing and exporting, um, you've got aerospace, you got JPL, mm -hmm. you got Lockheed Martin. And I think that's for us when I was in, in venture there in Santa Monica, we thought a lot about where are the industries and you've got a lot of 
leading big corporates, but of course that also leads to, you know, the, the types of businesses the entrepreneurs uh, mm-hmm. foster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from a, an, an, you know, the a core piece of any ecosystem building and the type we're talking about right now is, are the investment dollars uh, yes. available, right? And that's a long-term game. Uh, I think there's more VCs in LA proper uh, and in Orange County than there has been ever right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, you know, what happens, of course, is one begets the next begets the next, sure. which is also very true of the angel investment mm-hmm. ecosystems, mm-hmm. right? And so if you look at, at, at um, Silicon Valley, certainly that's a very important piece. Areas like Seattle, right? Let's just, you know, mm-hmm. one other geography, but one we can encapsulate, right? It's the alumni bases from Amazon and Microsoft mm-hmm. and a handful of the other players and they end up seed funding the next generation of entrepreneurs. Um, so I think when I think of SoCal, and uh, I can say with a smile, Silicon Beach, uh, which you can, you can mm-hmm. love or hate, yep. uh, and there's you know, a lot of different Silicon blanks uh, out there in the Midwest yep. and, and yep. overseas. But I think for Southern California and, and particularly LA and Orange County, um, it is, and, it, and it's folks like yourself, right? Who, while you're building uh, specific businesses and a firm and a platform, also recognizing part of the role you want to have is building the, the local ecosystem, supporting local entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, last but not least is pulling the resident, you know, uh, large corporate players uh-huh. uh, into that as well. And, um, and we've seen it in our work, uh, you know, we as a very different part of the world, but we work with, we've worked historically with a very large retailer in the Middle East. Uh-huh. And they were very explicit that, you know, obviously job one is growing our business, but, sure. you know, in the mix is we want to grow uh, the capabilities of our region. You mm-hmm. know, they, mm-hmm. And that's good. That for, ultimately, a, it's good for them. That's a really thoughtful. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, that, that's a great transition. I mean, a question I, that's been on my mind too is, you know, I, I do have uh, a lot of involvement with local corporations and I don't know that they're getting a lot of guidance into how do they get involved in the local startup ecosystem. So as you think about that client in the Middle East or others, what's, what's your advice on how they can help sort of selfishly, but how can they help build a, a, a startup ecosystem? Because most of them are conditioned to try to hoard what they have, right? It's like hoard our talent, hoard our customers, hoard our information which doesn't do well in an abundant ecosystem. So what, what advice do you have or, or guidance would you give? Yeah, I mean, for the, for the, for the large corporates in, in you know, really supporting uh, the, the local ecosystem, um, it is participating in things like what you all are doing, uh, or in historically would have been accelerator programs. Mm-hmm. It's having, and this is a, more broadly, it's having a, a um, sort of a well thought out, like this is how we're gonna engage startups, especially local ones, mm-hmm. so that we're, you know, we're not uh, acting as tourists. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not, you know, there's a sort of a classic criticism, which is, hey, we're having great conversations with corporate, and if it all works out well, we'll get a deal in 18 months, mm-hmm. you know, which is you know, three lifetimes for a yeah, startup. Especially for really a startup, hard. yeah, exactly. Right, yes, they, they, they've, they're either, you know, they're in a different place in life or they're no longer around uh, mm-hmm. by the time that, mm-hmm. you know. so, you know, if you take a tactical example, like procurement with a startup, you're going to work with that local startup, but procurement can't take six months. Find That's a right. way to have a fast track. Yes. Um, I think one other way uh, is to be as clear as you can to the ecosystem of what you are interested in, the areas, 
Mm -hmm. uh, part of our work, we recognize it's so interesting. We may work with a company in one sector, but what they're actually interested in and looking for solutions for startups, you would never guess from mm -hmm. the outside. Mm -hmm. end. That's right. I think how you communicate to the, to the, um, the startups uh, in the zip code that you're in can go a long way to having success mm -hmm. working with them. Um, and so it's, it's really being uh, genuine, targeted, and effective, um, mm -hmm. and participating uh, in, in programs that are part of building that e ecosystem, whether it's sponsoring or having your decision makers come be a part of it, meet those companies. And um, uh, so it's, you know, no one silver bullet, uh, no one, you know, magical solution, but it's kind of doing all these things, doing all of them with intentionality. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things we, we you know, uh, agnostic of geography, but one of the things when we sit down with the corporate and are trying to size up if they'd be, our work with them is be successful is, you know, you know if, you, if you use the pitcher and catcher metaphor, right, if, if opportunities are being pitched, like who's catching them? Yes. And how are they processing them? Uh, and how can they move them forward? Mm -hmm. And it's easier said than done. But all of these things help, you know, dare I say, the corporate to be a good corporate citizen. Uh, in the in the with the lens of uh, supporting and helping move forward uh, sure. the entrepreneurs in their region. Well, and I think I mean you raise a great point of it is about being a good corporate citizen, but I'll I'll argue that I think it's also about building great companies of the future, the ones that you know it was it was very heartening for me to hear last year when the business roundtable came out and said we recognize that we have more constituents than just shareholders that. It can't be just about short-term profit maximization and shareholder value that we have to take all these groups into account. And I looked at it and said, that's great. It's, it's also just good business because if you just change your, your time horizon a little bit, I mean, I grew up in a family business that made it almost 150 years. We had a pretty long time horizon um, and understood all those constituents. But if you're a you're a corporate leader today it, you, you sort of want to tap into all available resources and your community and startups and things like that are are a critical additional resource so even just to be self-interested it seems like a good good business to to be able right no yeah and simply put this is not charity that we're talking about that's right uh, this is the benefit for the ecosystem but ultimately if that materializes that's the benefit back to the the corporate mm -hmm. who's headquartered uh, there right. uh, or has a, a sizable or deep presence mm -hmm. that's right so how do you you know you have to be out in front you're the leader for these companies and helping them navigate thoughts around innovation and investment how do you keep yourself sharp and innovative yeah um uh well sharp beyond the three cups of coffee before 10 a.m <laughs> no i mean genuinely the you know this is one of the, the things that we we do love about what we do is we spend our days uh, talking with founders ceos mm -hmm. talking with vcs uh, working with c-suite executives as well as in some cases you know leading academics because mm -hmm. all these corporates want to know the ai guru mm -hmm. at stanford or, or mit or down at uc irvine as the case may be. So quite my, my genuine answer is, that's how we stay sharp because we're just in the flow of this information, uh -huh. we're synthesizing uh -huh. it. Um, and we say with our members, like we're never gonna know the cosmetics industry better than, than you do. That, sure. That's your day in, day out. But what we do see is we have our finger on the pulse. 
You know, mm -hmm. we're talking to all of these people who are smarter than us uh, and pulling all of that together. So I think it's, it's, it's the exposure. Um, and then over time, it becomes the pattern recognition. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's conversations like these. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of the day in the life uh, for us. And, um, and to your point earlier, things are moving so fast, right? Unless you're deep in it, unless you have boots on the ground, um, it's hard, hard to stay at the forefront. Um, so hopefully that answers the question. But yeah, that's, that's, I think just be, I mean, you, you have the benefit of being in the, the flow. I mean, part, I, I, I get to see so many startups every week with what we're doing and that just, that fuels that energy. And, um, you know, we, we constantly are thinking about how do we increase the scale of how many we can help because that is what ultimately builds a more vibrant ecosystem. We don't need a couple more companies a year around here. We need dozens that ultimately yeah. become hundreds, right? And so it's like build, building the infrastructure and the, the community to, to support that is key. So unfortunately, I mean, you, you know, we always could talk for, for hours, I'm sure. And uh, we'll, we'll have to do this again, uh, no doubt. But we, you know, reached the, the sort of the end of our time today, Neil. So one of the things I always like to end with is that key lesson or, or piece of advice. We have a lot of entrepreneurs in uh, the audience and a lot of them look at these bigger companies and think that that's my ticket to a great customer revenue, maybe even a, an exit. So, you know, in that context, like, you know, what advice or, or lessons do you feel like entrepreneurs should really think about when it comes to this corporate innovation world? Yes. Um, and now we, we appreciate the question, and it's, it's one we think about kind of mm -hmm. brief day out. I think for the, the founder CEOs, for the entrepreneurs out there, um, and certainly there's some industries where, hey, you're building a business to try and disrupt the yes. incumbents. Uh, but, um, but for those who are building businesses which are going to be working with, selling into corporates, partnering with them, um, you know, I think it's, uh, and a lot of time can be wasted. Mm -hmm. um, and that's true in many different, from many different lenses, but, and as an entrepreneur, you know, the, the two most valuable, as humans, two most valuable assets, but definitely as entrepreneurs running businesses, time mm -hmm. and cash uh, are the two things that are your most limited assets. Uh, but with corporates, you know, I think as you as you look to engage the corporates really, you know, uh, as early on as possible, really recognizing like, who are you talking to? What's mm -hmm. their mandate? What's their capabilities, budgets? What's their ability to move something forward? What will that process look like? What are the decision steps? You know, none of that should be surprising. But I, although I'd say we're surprised often, uh, you know, it's where you came away. And I think I had a great conversation with that Fortune 500. And it's like, well, how many of these elements did you suss out, mm -hmm. uh, right? Because you can only pursue so many opportunities at one point in time. So I think it's really that methodical uh, understanding of what success could look like in yes. that interaction with the corporate. I think it's also understanding the relationships grow with the corporate. So it may start as a commercial relationship and then could be a partnership. And in some cases could lead to a strategic investment and mm -hmm. M&A. So also mm -hmm. recognizing that, that full picture. Um, and, and, you know, um, if there was any one point, it's knowing the drivers of the person that you're talking to. Mm -hmm. And back to your point, you know, what, what, what's the downside for them? What's the upside? Does that equation uh, work the right way? And then stepping, you know, back and away from um, corporates, just general, you know, entrepreneur advice, uh, especially in this environment, stay nimble, 
you know, the, the classic adage of cash is king, because uh, we don't know what the, the funding environment will look like. And you know, that's the one thing you do have control over. And you don't have control over, um, you know, how quickly your, your revenues will materialize and you can close business, but you, you do know your runway and mm -hmm. your path to build. Mm -hmm. So generic advice, but I'd say it's, it's always relevant, never so more relevant than this macro environment that that's we're right. in right yeah, now. Yeah, uncertainty, it, it makes that all the more important for sure. Well, Neil, uh, thank you so much uh, for being my friend, for all the advice and, and counsel you, you share all the time, um, for sharing it with uh, my Accelerate audience today. And there's just so much wisdom uh, and uh, I so appreciate you and, and all you do in, in this innovation world. Um, you're such a thoughtful guy and I really appreciate uh, appreciate you being here and, and sharing it with my audience today. Likewise, Gary, yeah, same, same thoughts across the board. And, and last but not least, look forward to the next time we can be doing this uh, or, or sharing a cup of coffee. Yes. Uh, in the same room together down in Orange County. And, uh, or I'll come uh, up your way. Yes. That's right. Yes. And thanks to all the listeners as well. Yes. Well, be well. We'll talk soon. You've just listened to Accelerate OC. Join our live recordings every Tuesday morning at accelerateoc.com or listen, like, and share anytime from your favorite podcast spot. Let's Accelerate OC together. 